Well, we're back for another great Bible study today. This is Ray Martinez. Our scripture reading is from 1 John 4, 4. But you belong to God, my dear children. You have already won a victory over those people because the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in the world. Many of us have heard the scripture and have it memorized. The question today, though, in our study is, where is God? I get asked that often, where is God supposed to be? Where does he live? Where does he reside? Well, when you look at this scripture, it tells you that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Now, we've heard these terms before, omnipotence, omniscience, and omnipresence. Omnipotence means all-powerful. Monotheistic theologians regard God as having supreme power. This means God can do what he wants. It means he is not subject to physical limitations like man. Being omnipotent, God has power over the wind, water, gravity, physics, etc. God's power is infinite or limitless. Let's talk about omniscience. Means all-knowing. God is all-knowing in the sense that he is aware of the past, present, and the future. Nothing takes him by surprise. His knowledge is total. He knows all that there is to know and all that can be known. Now, omnipresence means that he's all-present. The term means that God is capable of being everywhere at the same time. It means his divine presence encompasses the whole of the universe. There's no location where he does not inhabit omnipresence indicates that God is distinct from the universe, but inhabits the entirety of it. He is everywhere at once. That's a lot to take in. God has revealed himself to us through his word, the Bible. Throughout scripture, the existence of God is treated as a self-evident fact. If you look at Genesis 1.1 and Exodus 3.14. Now let's take into account, when Benjamin Franklin wrote his autobiography, he didn't waste time trying to prove his own existence. Likewise, God does not spend much time proving his existence in his book. The life-changing nature of the Bible, its integrity, and the miracles which accompanied his writing would be enough to warrant a closer look. And another way, in which God reveals himself is through his son, Jesus Christ. We read that in John 14, verses 6 through 11. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and the only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. We read this in 1 John 1.1 1, 1 and verse 14. I suggest you take a look at Colossians 2.9. It's a great scripture reference. Stephen Stoning was illustrated of where God and Jesus was residing. If we read in Acts chapter 7, verse 55 through 56, But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into heaven and saw the glory of God and he saw Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. In verse 56 it says, And he told them, Look, I see the heavens open 
and the Son of Man standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. Well, that kind of tells you where Jesus is and where God is. They're up in heaven, sitting on the throne. Well, according to Mark 16, verse 19, and 1 Peter 3, 22, Jesus is in heaven right now at the right hand of the God the Father. Luke 24, 51, and Acts 1, verses 9 through 11, describe the bodily ascension of Jesus, which occurred 40 days after his resurrection. Jesus had told his disciples that he was going to prepare a place for them and for all believers in John chapter 14, verses 2 through 3. So he must be up in heaven working. That must be where he's do- what he's doing. And he's preparing a place for us. So you think, well, how can he be both places at once? Or is he? I think it's plain from Scripture that Jesus' ascension was a literal and bodily return to heaven. He rose up from the ground gradually and was received into a cloud while his disciples and other astonished onlookers gazed in wonder. Then two angels appeared and they promised Christ's return in just the same way that you have watched him go. Acts 1 verse 11. This marked the end of the human limitations Jesus had during his earthly ministry. Some of the attributes he possessed as God had been temporarily suspended, but now the suspension was over. His heavenly glory returned, a glimpse of which we see at the transfiguration, or they saw, in Matthew 17, verses 1 through 9. King David said in the Spirit, The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Psalms 110, verse 1. Well, there you go. Again, pointing that he's in heaven. The verse literally says, Yahweh says to Adonai. This is a remarkable conversation between two persons of the Godhead. In Matthew chapter 22, verse 43 through 45, Jesus applies this psalm to himself, claiming that he is more than the son of David, but that he is David's Lord. Jesus' place is at the right hand of God, the place of the divine honor. Other passages that indicate Jesus' presence in heaven are Matthew 26, 64, Luke 22, 69. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated in the place of power at God's right hand. Ephesians 1, 20, Colossians 3, 1, Hebrews 12, 2, and Revelations 5, 7 all validate this. So biblically, Jesus is in an actual place called heaven, a place of glory where God dwells with his angels and redeemed children. In another sense, Jesus is also with us here in this world. Jesus, being God, has all the attributes of God, including omnipresence. So Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit are everywhere and not just in heaven. As Solomon says in 2 Chronicles verse chapter 2, verse 6, The heavens are even the highest heavens and cannot contain him. This reminds me of a story where a mother was upset with her two boys and she sent them to go talk to the pastor. She had prearranged this meeting about their misconduct. And this pastor sat down and talked to the two boys and kept saying, where is God? Where is God in your life? And what will you do without him? Where is God? Well, then 
two boys were upset and they went home and their mom asked them and said, well, how did it go? And, and they told their mom, well, someone lost God and now he's trying to blame us. <laughs> That's in humor. But what the pastor is trying to convey was that God belongs with us everywhere that we are. The real question is, where is God in your life? Jonah tried to run from God. You want to hide, Jonah? <laughs> Basically what he said, then hide in the whale for a while and think about what you're doing. Elijah tried to hide in a cave from God and Jezebel. And he sends an angel and he feeds Elijah, says, you got another mission to go on. We're not done. Adam and Eve tried to hide from God in the garden. Think about those people. Cain hid Abel's body and thought he was hiding from God. And God had to come down and speak to him. That must have been a real wake-up call. Ananias and Sapphira tried to hide from God what they were doing with their money. And they dropped dead in their feet. Judas Iscariot tried to hide his double life while betraying Jesus. Sarah thought she was hiding from God when she laughed about becoming pregnant. And then she denied it. And the Lord called her out on it. If we look at, this is worth reading, look at Genesis 18, verses 13 through 15. Then the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh? Why did she say, Can an old woman like me have a baby? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return about this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she denied it and saying, I didn't laugh. But the Lord said, no, you did laugh. Sarah had been caught in the act of her private laughter and mocking commentary, a response which catches God off guard. Not that God wouldn't know. It just made God wonder, why would you doubt me? Is there anything impossible for me? I also like what he says in verse 14. He says, I will return about this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. God must be living somewhere else. Why would he return? Why isn't he omnipresent there? Well, he is, but he's making a statement that he's not gonna forget, and he will be present when the child is born, without a doubt. If we take a look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse eight through nine, it says, yes, we are fully confident and we'd rather be away from these earthly bodies for then we will be at home with the Lord. So whether we are here in this body or away from this body, our goal is to please him. Luke 8 verse 17 says, for all that is secret will eventually be brought into the open and everything that is concealed will be brought to light and made known to all. And how can this be if God is not present with us? But yet, we know he sits on the throne in heaven with Jesus at his right hand. St. Augustine writes, and this is like 354 to 430, so a long time ago. Although in speaking of him, we say that God is everywhere present, we must resist carnal ideas and withdraw our mind from our bodily senses and not imagine that God is distributed through all things by a sort of extension of size as earth or water or air or light or distributed. Let's take a look at 2 Corinthians 5.5. 5. 
Now the one who has fashioned us for his very purpose is God, who has given us the Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. You know, there's an old song, and it's the lyrics that I really like. It's called In the Garden. It was written by Austin Miles, and it says this, And he walks with me, and he talks with me, and he tells me I am his own. And the joy we share as we tarry there, none other ever known. That's meaningful. And really, it's, it's gathered from Scripture where it talks about how people talk with God and, and walk with Him. And yet, He is seated on the throne. The Bible is really chock full of stories of examples when God and Jesus walked and talked with people. When Jesus was on earth, He walked and talked with His people. And when he ascended into heaven, he still came back and walked and talked with people. And then he sent the Holy Spirit to comfort us. What more could we ask? Jesus Christ, in his final prayer, prayed we would walk in oneness with him just like he walked the earth in oneness with the Father. You can see that in John chapter 17. I would suggest reading the whole chapter because it's a full chapter of his prayer. But the key verses there is John 17, verses 11, 23, and 26. He promised to be with us always in Matthew 28, 20. Through the Holy Spirit, he is faithful to that promise in John 16, verses 12 through 15. He lives in us, and we live in him, according to John 15, verses 4 through 7, and verse 26. Even the Old Testament reveals God's desire that we walk with him in Micah 6, 8. And God named Enoch six generations out from Adam and did just that. Enoch's trusting companionship with God pleased God so much he didn't let death touch Enoch. It says that in Hebrews 11:5. I love it the way it says in Genesis 5:24. Walking in close fellowship with God, then one day he disappeared because God took him. Isn't that amazing? So there showed some presence of God. In 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 11, it says, As they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and with horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them, and Elijah went up in the heaven in a whirlwind. That's when Elijah and Elisha got separated. They were walking and talking together, and God comes in the midst of them and sweeps Elijah up in a chariot, ever so present. Are we hiding? Hiding from being a witness? Hiding our sins? What masks are we wearing on what occasion? God sees us behind our masks. I remember as a young kid, my mother, when she would make, well, she made homemade tortillas and beans every day, literally, for every meal we had. And we had side special dishes, sometimes it was a casserole of some sort, but you still had homemade tortillas and beans. When company would come over, or somebody might come over, my mother, the first thing she wanted to do was to hide the tortillas because it was a demonstration of poverty. She thought that was something shameful for us to be making homemade tortillas because it showed that we just didn't have anything. So she would run and hide the tortillas. And finally, I asked her one day, I said, Mom, why are you hiding them? People love tortillas. 
And she said, no, they, they'll think that we're poor. So she was trying to hide something. We didn't need to, right? We don't need to hide the tortillas anymore. It's okay for people to see how we live and how we walk and how we talk. There's nothing to hide. Likewise, we don't need to hide our faith in Christ. It's okay for people to see how we live, how we walk, and how we talk. There's nothing to hide. God is with us no matter where we go. Have a blessed day. Thank you.